listening to the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network. It's the podcast in the Broadcast Basement. Exciting uh, two nights of WrestleMania. I feel like WWE pulled things off a little bit better than I even expected them to. Mike, how are you today? I am doing great, Chris. Yeah, uh, I agree. I thought WrestleMania was an unbelievably awesome show. Very few flaws. A lot of really good action. Uh, fun show for sure. You know, I, I think that I want to kind of go through the ones that I just that stuck out in my mind. Because uh, I'm more of a casual viewer than you are. You're you're my hardcore friend uh, who probably broke down every little single thing that happened in each and every one of them. I was impressed by the fact that they realized they had to do a few almost like mini movies in the style of what uh, Matt Hardy had done when he was out on the independence and bouncing mm-hmm. around. He did that whole thing with his delete thing and it ended with this big epic almost like movie like short film that he did they did that to conclude the night with the boneyard match on night one and then the one with Cena and Bray Wyatt was so well put together and for the entire thing where it seems like you know of course Wyatt thinks that Cena's holding him down and Cena doesn't think that it's happening those two had to be completely on the same page to be able to pull that thing off I thought it was masterful. I loved it. Cena showed some range as an actor. So did Wyatt. But it, that was that was a fun thing, and that was really the only way I think they could have done that successfully. Yeah, it was a lot of fun last night on night two with Cena and The Fiend. Um, great spectacle. I wouldn't call it a match because there really wasn't a whole lot of physicality, but it was definitely a spectacle. It was a lot of fun. Um, the effects were, were brilliant. A lot of the little flashbacks. But even Vince taking a shot at himself there. Um, if everybody remembers um, John Moxley's podcast with Chris Jericho over a months ago, uh, Vince utters the line, such good crap, or not crap, but obviously. No, I know what you you're know, saying, because I laughed out loud when, I, when, when the little puppet that was playing Vince with the devil horns in the little mm-hmm. vignette actually said that. Oh, that's such good bleep. You know, I mean, I was like, that's. <laughs> Brilliant. I mean, it's it, and, and the thing was, he had to be on board with it as well, because what it did was it, it was fan service for the fans that think John Cena gets whatever he wants. And Bray Wyatt was squashed six years ago at WrestleMania. It was complete fan service, which they kind of had to do when you're trying to get fans to watch something without any crowd, where at times it does lag, no matter how hard they're trying out there to put together yeah. two nights of WrestleMania. Yeah, I agree with that. And you want to talk a little bit more about the the boneyard match from Saturday night? Sure, night man. One? Man, you you guide the ship like uh, like the pirate ship that we never really got to see because it wasn't in the stadium in Tampa Bay, and they still kept with the whole pirate theme for some reason. They should have changed. I felt like they should have changed the theme. I also, when they announced that it was going to be in L.A. next year, thought to myself, Tampa Bay must be like, are you kidding me? We don't even get next year as a makeup. That's ridiculous. Yeah, well, um, L.A., uh, to expound on that a little bit, 
It's a yearly thing. Cities bid on it. They obviously won the bid. WWE is already planning on going there. They had the date set. So, yeah, poor Tampa might not get back in the mix for another year or two, depending on how things go. It's unfortunate what's going on right now in the world, but uh, that's how it is with the business. Uh, obviously, L.A. is set unless, you know, for whatever reason, this thing really, really, really goes on a lot longer than we're expecting. But, um, yeah, it, um, that's already the business is already taken care of. But Saturday night with um, the main event, the Boneyard match, I thought, again, amazing job. And actually had plenty of um, um, physicality and wrestling-type moves in that match. The only thing that kind of irked me just a little bit as it happened Taker's down in the hole. AJ's about to push the dirt on him. And all of a sudden, lights flash, Taker's behind AJ. I mean, yeah, I know it's a movie, a cinematic type thing, but I'm like, and it's The Undertaker. But with the way they were tossing around real life and real names and something like that, Mark Calloway, Alan Jones, Undertaker's wife, Michelle, Undertaker being on Instagram and stuff like that. For him to just pop up behind AJ was a little less than believable for me, but I guess I give it a pass because it was just an excellent spectacle, great, great fight. But I was with you on that because I felt the exact same way. You you portrayed it as real, and then you went supernatural on it at the very end, which to me I thought was stupid. I I, I was watching it, and I was totally into it, and I was like, this is going pretty well. And at first I thought he was just going to beat the crap out of AJ Styles because that was really one-sided. For a guy who's calling him out, he just comes at him like, come here, son, I'm going to beat your ass now. And he's just like wailing on him. And the whole thing's very real. And then they throw the supernatural Undertaker thing at the end, which um, I was bad writing. But but overall, I still like the Boneyard match. Yeah, I, I did like it a lot. Uh, the pyro and the lights and all that, the effects at the very end was cool. His entrance, his exit, all that. AJ popping out of the, the casket, too, at the start was really, really cool. And um, I thought they did a really, really good job with it for about 90% of that uh, of match. What else stood out from you for you on night one? Like, what was what were the big things that you enjoyed the most about night one? Night one, I did like seeing Braun Strowman going over Goldberg. I mean, Braun was um, a guy over the last two or three years, start and stop, start and stop. We, we thought he was going to get a shot at the championship, and Brock would pull it out and beat him. And, you know, the rug was always pulled out from under Braun Strowman. They made him look strong and then they make him lose to, to Brock or they make him lose to Tyson Fury in Saudi Arabia, a boxer, last fall. So I'm kind of glad that Braun got the universal title by beating Goldberg. Uh, a few people are upset at Braun, though, because of a comment he made a couple weeks ago, I believe, on either Twitter or Instagram. I think it was Twitter, where he was, uh, like, doubting... Um, independent guys because they weren't making money or whatever. Yeah. And he got some heat for that, but overall Braun win the title was a good thing. Um, my, I know a very good friend of mine is very upset about Goldberg losing because he's been a Goldberg mark since 1996, but <laughs> Stroman. How did he think that Goldberg was going to win that? He's not a guy who goes on the road. He wasn't going to rep the title very much. He likes to just show up for the big things and leave. And that was probably what his contract was. In fact, I'm surprised yeah. Bill Goldberg didn't sit there and say, this isn't worth it to me. I'm not catching COVID-19 and back out of the match, especially yeah. after Roman Reigns wasn't able to do it. 
it would have been very easy for Bill Goldberg to say, well, then why even have the match? This is stupid. Why put myself at risk for something that's not even built up? So I didn't expect it to be long and I didn't expect him to retain. Can't disagree with that. And yeah, I think the plan was all along for Goldberg to carry it in the mania, but him to lose it to Roman, obviously. But now with that and some of the other things going on, you know, it's Braun Strowman's time now. And it looks like uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens once the world gets back to normal and uh, Roman Reigns uh, gets back to action. I feel like an underrated match that might have gone by the wayside was the first one on night one when um, Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross come out against the Kabuki Warriors because there was a lot of fun audio for that. They they talked through that match and they had like an argument throughout it and there was a lot of uh, 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 Japanese trash talk from Kabuki Warriors, which was kind of fun. And they, were, they, they did a very good job kicking off a show in an empty arena, I thought. And I thought there was good wrestling in it as well. And I thought I really I feel like that's the match with all the other big pop and circumstance that that's going on. That that's an underrated match that I think did very well to kick off everything. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, anytime there was a match like that, especially that opening women's tag that had like vocal interaction between the competitors throughout the match, trash talk and and a lot of lot of yelling and screaming and that. I thought that really worked well given the no crowd atmosphere down at the performance center. And there were a couple of other matches that kind of showed that as well. But yeah, I do agree with that. And Blix, uh, Bliss and Cross winning that match for the titles too. I kind of expected maybe those titles to change hands. They are the first ever two-time WWE Women's Tag Team Champions. And um, hopefully for the Kabuki Warriors, we'll see Asuka maybe get a little bit of a bigger singles push coming out of this as well. So this could be a win-win for uh, everybody involved in that match. Yeah, I mean, I know Kabuki Warriors was kind of cool, but Asuka I always liked better when she was a singles wrestler. So I'm excited um, that there's a possibility she goes off and does that. Can we jump in the night two? Because I thought night two was really interesting. I thought night two was probably the better night out of the two. Um by quite a bit, too. Not that night one was terrible or anything like that. I just thought night two had a lot more things that stood out. Well, of course, my the big moment. <laughs> I, I can't believe I'm such a mark for this. And I enjoyed it so much. Was the uh, the Otis Ziggler match. Where, yeah. where Otis goes over and wins. And Mandy comes out in your most anti-COVID-19 protective gear ever. She's just wearing a bra with like a big open front to everything. I was like, I was like, only a girl that's got that body can pull off that ridiculous outfit. And she comes out as, as like, you know, she saves Otis. She gets back at Dolph. They have their kiss in the ring as he carries her out. I don't know if they sold that as well as they could have, but I mean, he look, I don't, I think she actually in real life looked at him like, wow, you get sweaty after a match before she jumped into his arms. But I mean, that, <laughs> I thought that was a great finish to that entire thing. And I, I'm actually curious as to what happens here because we basically split up a tag team to have this old school, like love story match with the ugly fat guy finally winning over the girl, but they split up a women's tag team or at least a partnership that's going on there between two people that now you have these other storylines that will sprout out of this thing, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, it'll be, it will be interesting to see where Sonya Deville and uh, Mandy Rose go after this, as well as Otis and Mandy and, and Ziggler and, and, and Ziggler and Sonya. Is there anything there? I don't think there is. I just think they were kind of working in concert to try to get uh, Otis 
this off of Mandy, but uh, my theory, uh, I want to say I may have mentioned it on the show or I may not have mentioned it. I may just mention it in private conversation. But I thought with um, Sonia being a lesbian that she would try to go after Mandy. And I thought that was kind of where the storyline was going with Sonia perhaps setting Otis up to fail. But um, I guess we'll see what happens with that down the line once we get real television once again after this, uh, hopefully this virus silliness kind of stops. But yeah, I really did enjoy the match and I wish the world proud for that. There are a few moments at WrestleMania over the weekend where the crowd would have been so much better in eating things up and that match with Otis and Manny would have been one of those things. Yeah, that would have been a big pop moment, I believe, if that would have happened. The, the, the Cena fiend thing was, I just thought, incredible, as I mentioned here at the beginning of the show. I didn't know what to expect when it started. And as it's going on, I'm realizing my mouth has been open for five minutes as I'm watching this. As they interspace all the stuff you can find on WWE Network, all these old classic moments, Fiend is actually in the middle of the ring and he's recreating moments. And then you realize that I don't know if it was by design or if Cena and Fiend pick up on and say, let's do this, but they're using the programming that's been getting put out on the network about the, uh, um, the ruthless aggression era, about some of the things with Eric Bischoff, about some of the stuff that's been, that they've recently put out on the network over the last couple of months. And if you're a network viewer, you actually watched some of these behind the scene things that really set up what was going on there. It was a very deep dive, very intricate thing. And I've been one of these people sitting at home watching the network and watching the ruthless aggression thing and watching the evolution of John Cena and watching stuff that had been happening that they're pumping out. And they brought all that stuff into a very, it was a really deep storyline. And it was really cool when we, we complained a month ago, like there's no setup to this match and it's stupid. And I feel like those two wrestlers realized they didn't have much to go on couldn't really build it that much because of what's going on in the world and they couldn't get in front of an audience, probably couldn't get as much TV time together as they would have gotten and still found a way to make it one of the most compelling things in WrestleMania. I absolutely agree with that. Uh, and it was a great commercial for WWE Network as well, seeing the whole the NWO and Eric Bischoff and Ruthless Aggression, John Cena, and even some of the other little things that they threw in there uh, that were really, really cool. I kept watching and thinking to myself, John Cena really is a star. I mean, he's on the same level as The Rock. He's one of those few guys that can take absolute dog crap. And that's what these two guys were handed. They were handed dog crap. Okay. Bray Wyatt is the guy that gets the title taken off him unceremoniously in a match against Goldberg just to set up the Roman Reigns win that never actually is able to happen at WrestleMania. And John Cena comes in like a good company boy just for about a month or so and never gets to build a program. And that was two guys who sat down, obviously, and said, this is what we're going to do. And probably went to Vince and said, and we're going to pick on you. And John Cena, there's no way Bray Wyatt gets away with that unless John Cena's standing there telling Vince, no, we're doing it this way. Because only a guy like Cena or The Rock or Hogan could ever sit there and be able to push that through and do it that way without Vince screwing it up or saying, no, you can't pick on me. Totally agree. I totally understand that. Yeah, I mean, only very few people can actually even approach Vince with... uh, Something like that. So uh, kudos to all involved and and kudos to Vince McMahon and whoever else was involved in setting that match up. And I thought both Cena and Bray, even with the empty arenas, 
on SmackDown the previous weeks leading up to WrestleMania did a really nice job of building toward this match. Yeah, I thought so too. The other thing was the 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 championship. You got you know you got Claymores versus versus F fives. It was and it's like, about it was time. yeah. I mean, you know what was funny about it was that I'm watching that match and I I'll be honest with you, I skipped around on WrestleMania. Like I was the problem was I got real busy on Saturday and I was getting results before it happened. So I waited for a lot of it to finish. I, like when night two was going on, I was back in night one, jumping the matches that I heard that were good. And eventually I consumed the entire thing. And then I did the same thing on night two where I jumped around and went to different matches on it with the search bar that they put at the bottom on the network. So I was like, oh, I want to see this and I want to see this. I definitely want to get that. And if I have time, I'll go back and I'll get the other matches, which I, I got almost all of them. But but I I couldn't wait to get to the the championship and I had just watched the thing with Goldberg on night one and I was like this is very similar you got two big guys you can't tell a story where the crowd fills in while they stand off to the ring and stare at each other for two minutes while people chant so all you can do is go to your big moves and just kill each other for about five minutes and somebody's got to come up there's no way it could be a long match and that, I, I wonder if it would have been longer if they would have had the big crowd. I don't know what you think. Uh, maybe a smidgen longer, maybe a little bit more anticipation buildup. And I think if the crowd would have been so much better, it would have been an unbelievable pop to see Drew win the match in front of 70,000 fans in Tampa Bay because that guy deserves it. He's been wrestling for about 12 or 13 years now. Um, he entered WWE in the late uh, 2000s, like 07, 08, 09-ish era where he did development. Then he came up to the main roster. And even Vince McMahon said, this is the chosen one. This is a guy who's going to be a future world champion. Maybe they didn't necessarily see it shortly after that, but he's really blossomed and matured. I'm so glad that he won that match. And, yeah, that was begging for a moment for cheers. And another thing about the whole Brock Lesnar slash um, Goldberg-type matches in WWE, um, they're starting to get a little old to me. I mean three to five minutes of a bunch of guys slugging it out. I mean, yeah, it's a good little pop, but I think now it's it's time to start moving past that. And I'm, I'm so glad they, went, they took that step with Drew and they took that step with Braun, getting those titles off those guys. Yeah, they make money. Yeah, they, they draw buys and buy rates and, and gate and, and ticket sales and all that. But at the same time, how, how, how long can you go back to that old book and just keep reading it when there's plenty of new stories to be told. Well, it was a completely fan service WrestleMania, and it kind of had to be. I mean, it, look at the results of these matches and the amount of things that happened that fans wanted when they don't always get that at pay-per-views and at WrestleMania. They, it's sometimes what Vince wants. And here you have Bray Wyatt going over Cena. You, like you said, you got Strowman holding one of the big belts and you've got Drew McIntyre holding the other big belt. I, it, it was one of those things where all the things that people have been clamoring for for a couple of years, they got it. Because I think if they wouldn't have gotten it, WWE can't handle the backlash. Look, I'll tell you this right now. Across the board, Mike, all sports podcast, sports radio, I get, I get all the information from it. It's all down. Everybody's down across the board because people, there's different things that they're worried about. I noted that the collections, I'm, I'm actually filming two Catholic masses in my neighborhood because people can't go to church. And I was asked by these two priests if I could do it. Both churches, are their contributions have been cut in half because of what's going on in the world. Everybody who puts out any kind of content right now is feeling it. 
and I guarantee you WWE is as well, and they can't afford to have Twitter abuzz with, man, what a sucky WrestleMania. They can't, they can't do it. So they had yeah. to, they had to put together this type of show, and I don't care if it's fan service because every once in a while you really should give it to the customer. The customer's always right, and they kind of gave it to them, and and th- that's a good thing. They got out of their own way, and they and it was a fun thing to watch for two days. I agree with that entirely, and the sad thing is too for them with this whole situation, they lose out on seventy thousand seats at the gate because all that money's being refunded they're probably selling a lot less merch yeah they're still probably selling stuff online and getting things shipped to people but yeah i mean that's probably a huge money loss for them and for them to be able to deliver a show like that with no crowd just on the WWE network or pay-per-view they did a really really good job with that and you're you're right the whole fan service thing was definitely a good way to go for wrestlemania this year do you think that some of the guys that ended up winning, this was going to be the biggest moment of their lives? Do you still think that it feels exciting to Drew McIntyre or Braun Strowman or, or any of these guys? Is it, does it feel as exciting to them because they didn't get the crowd and they didn't get the pop? Uh, do you think that down the line, they'll get the opportunity to have another big moment in front of a crowd here? Or do you think that they sit there and they go, you know, it doesn't matter. I had a good WrestleMania match. People are talking about it. I'm the champ. And and you know what? I'm I'm just happy that I was able to do something here and it doesn't bother them. Well, I mean, you've met more of these guys than I have. You you talk to wrestlers at every level. So it did did it matter to them as much as I think it did that they didn't have seventy thousand fans there when they had their WrestleMania moment? I think that um, Drew put his best face on and came out on, on social media and, and said, Yeah. You guys were with me, even though you weren't actually there. I think he would have loved to have had that moment in front of the fans. But I think at the same time, he feels great because it's a personal accomplishment that a lot of people probably said that he couldn't have done by winning that championship at a WrestleMania in a main event. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's gonna it's gonna be great in one respect and very tough in another. And um, I agree with that. And. Um, I want to touch upon before we run out of time here. I know we probably have like another eight minutes or so that uh, there are three more matches. I kind of want to touch upon a little bit more. Um, Edge and Randy Orton in the last man standing match was an amazing fight. They, they practically tore up the performance center. Edge defeats Orton by hitting the concerto on top of a trailer. And I thought Edge looked great. For a guy that hadn't really been in the ring for nine years, although technically that match really wasn't in the ring very much. Right. But yeah, I look good. Uh, that would have been a great pop for him coming out too. Uh, somebody actually responded to me on Twitter last night saying that, yeah, at least he had the pop at the Rumble and that kind of um, made up a little bit for not having one tonight. But I'm, yeah, I, I think that he would have probably gotten one of the top two or three crowd reactions in Tampa by just by coming out and then by winning that match. Would they have been able to go as far as they did in front of the crowd? Maybe, maybe not. You know, probably wouldn't have been any trailers considering they probably have to go outside the stadium to do that. But uh, very good match. You know, I, I thought it was, I thought it was a solid match. I, I think you noticed that I didn't I didn't jump off with it at the at the top. It just other things had stood out to me a little bit more than that match. But it was. It was a it was a good match. It, it's it's hard to sell something without the crowd. There, I mean, there are just certain moments where you're just like, oh man, this would be so much better if there were a bunch of people screaming and like, 
you got the excitement, like without the sound, you know, you don't have that sound. You don't have that emotional thing behind it. It's the reason why movies have music in the background to build up tension. WWE has the crowd noise, especially in those big moments and the oohs and the ahs and everything else like that. And so sometimes a match like that with those, with the spots they were hitting, you sit there and there's a little part of you that's like, oh, this would have been so much better in front of an audience. And it's a shame that we didn't get to see that. Yeah. And then the one other thing from Mania I really want to kind of talk about are the two big women's matches, one from night one, one from night two. I thought one was much better than the other. I'll start with the one that wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be, and that was the Raw Women's Champion Becky Lynch and Shayna Baszler. I mean, I I wouldn't say it was a terrible match. I mean, it was really physical, but it came out somewhat flat to me uh, considering my expectations. And Becky retaining was a little bit of a surprise, too. And now that she's been champion a year, what direction are they going with there? Oh, I can figure out. The, I know the direction. I figured it out right away at the end of the match, Mike. Listen to this theory. The, okay. she, she wins the thing in the, in the three-way match last WrestleMania. And it's a weird finish because it was clear that Ronda Rousey had a shoulder up in the middle of that count. And it was something that they hit on afterwards, and it ran through the Internet. In this finish, even though she's got Baszler down, both her shoulders are up while she's doing the match. I think okay. they run with Becky Lynch is the bad guy. That that somehow she's getting put over even though she really hasn't won these matches. I think somewhere along the line that gets revisited with somebody standing there with the Titan Tron pointing at it saying, you didn't win any of these matches. You're a fraud. Now, I look, that's not because I'm not a fan of Becky Lynch. I love what she does and she's the man. But... I can see that storyline coming because I saw that finish and I went right back to WrestleMania and I was like, that's two quick finishes with quick counts where you can see on the video that the shoulders aren't all the way down with weird endings at WrestleMania two years in a row. I feel like there's a storyline brewing there that we have yet to uncover. Yeah, I I think that could be the case. And also, too, um, they can do more with Shayna and and Becky. Maybe they even circle around and do the whole three-way at some point down the line again, and they have Ronda come back. Well, they mentioned during the match that she she and and, and Shayna were training together. They made a point to bring that up multiple times during the match. The name Ronda Rousey was uttered several times, and that goes back to my idea that this is not over. This is a long build here with these two fighting champions and this wrestler that has been put over the two of them. That I think there's a build there. Yeah, absolutely. And also, too, Nia Jax might be coming back soon as well. And I think Nia and Becky still have unfinished business as well. So I think there's a lot of directions they could go with Becky Lynch out of that match. And flipping to the night two, Charlotte Flair became the NXT Women's Champion by defeating Rhea Ripley. And the opening match of night two, the main show on night two. And I thought that match was terrifically played. Great psychology, well-wrestled, great story. Rhea looked like she belonged. And I thought both women did a great job there. Charlotte is really the top of the world in terms of women's wrestling. I think her and maybe just below her, Tessa Blanchard. But Charlotte delivered the goods. She made Rhea look good. Rhea did her job in making herself look good. I just love that match. Charlotte becoming the NXT Women's Champion should be an interesting little story. And I've heard something a little bit earlier before we went on the air here that Charlotte may be defending that title on all three brands, NXT, Raw, and SmackDown. 
Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where people go here. As we get to the end of the show, the one thing that it kind of stuck out to me after WrestleMania is I'm curious if there will be some storyline here between Brock Lesnar and his advocate because the look on Paul Heyman's face at the end was almost telling another story about the start between Lesnar and Heyman. I wonder if they would do something between the two of them where Heyman's kind of like loses faith in him because he, he like what he's saying during the match and the look at the end of it, that it looked more like disappointment than shock. Like he was looking at Lesnar, like, how do you lose to this guy? Well, um, with Lesnar, I think he probably goes away for a while, like he usually does after WrestleMania. And uh, it would be interesting to see if, if Heyman is indeed losing faith in quote marks with Lesnar. Uh, look like he lost his best friend when, uh, when Lesnar lost that match and he was so crestfallen and his face was like uh, ready to kind of cry. Well, I just want to see a lot more Mandy Rose. I think America needs it during this time of need. And uh, as much as they can put her on the screen is perfectly fine with me. Mike, it's been a, a, a good show this week. Excellent recap. We'll get back to all the local stuff and the and, and, and what's going on on AEW next week. What do you think? Uh, yeah, can I address just a couple of quick things before we go since uh, we didn't really touch upon Sure, lock it down. Week. Here we go. All right. One, number one, Chicago's Kylie Ray. This is actually a new development. Appeared on Impact Wrestling show, which was taped a few weeks ago this past week. She announces that she has signed a multi-year contract with Impact, which I think is awesome for her. I think Kylie will do great there. She was number two on our list of workers for Chicago area shows behind Tessa. So now they're both in the same major company. So maybe they wrestle a few times too. So we'll see about that. Congratulations to Kylie. And also real quick, we ran out of time when our guest chimed in about this. But AEW Dark two weeks ago featured Robert Ego Anthony from Joliet and Joe Alonzo from Oak Lawn. And both those guys um, showed pretty well on the AEW scene on YouTube. I thought it was really cool that they both got opportunities. And uh, thumbs up to those guys as well. Some uh, some guys to keep an eye on right there. And, uh, and, and big news now that you have your two best workers in the same place. After Windy City Slam listed their top 10 in the Chicagoland area, the two best ones now are in the actual same house with each other, which is incredible. So we look forward to that. My friend, you stay well, you stay healthy, you stay inside, as should everybody else. And Windy City Slam will be back next week. Found everywhere podcasts can be found and always at WindyCitySlam.com. You're screaming because my name, I love-